Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 196 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Irfan Deliri. Irfan Deliri is an author, poet, activist, and social change consultant with over 15 years of experience across participatory development, settlement services, youth education, arts activism, and events management. Irfan is particularly passionate about empowering youth and working towards gender equality, environmental protection, and social harmony. He's the founding director of Newkind Conference, advisor to Amnesty International Australia, and has recently completed his Master in Communication for Social Change. An internationally toured spoken word artist, motivational speaker, and resilience trainer, Irfan seamlessly weaves the themes of economics, eco-psychology, and spirituality into performance philosophy sets that leave audiences breathless. His latest book, Raising Humanity, discusses the underlying causes of injustice and inequality and offers tangible pathways to socio-economic justice. So it's a pleasure to have you here, Irfan. Thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. So, Irfan, to kick things off, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led to your work as a social change consultant? Yeah, totally, sure. I started off uh, working in the field as a volunteer, as a, as a teenager with my father. So, my, my father was the director of the Townsville Intercultural Center uh, growing up, and um, that meant I was uh, you know, going out on field trips and projects with him in remote communities, mm. working with Indigenous Australians, um, working with refugee communities. So I kind of started there as a, as a teenager um, and then continued to get further and further involved, especially in the youth youth engagement kind of part until eventually I went back to university after doing my engineering degree. I went back to do a master's in communication for social change. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty early influence in my life, both my father and my mother working with um, migrant communities, with refugee communities, with indigenous communities. Um, so I think the, the two of them had a pretty big influence in that. And then, yeah, that one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I was in my 20s, you know, running projects and, and giving consulting to, to NGOs and, and service providers. It sounds like you've got a really diverse background there, Irfan. And, and of course, all of that's culminated in, in leading you to, to be the founding director at the New Kind Conference, which we're a proud media partner of this year. So I'm really curious to hear then, why did you create this five-day experience, which is really targeted at, at bringing 500 people down to Marion Bay in Tasmania. And what mm. can participants expect at this next conference, which is going to run from late January to February next year? Yeah, so I guess the, the 10 or so years that I spent working in community, with community, going back to university to do my master's in communication for social change, all those experiences kind of like left me feeling a little bit uh, underwhelmed at the success of social change movements, at the success of, you know, 
the left, uh, at the six, uh, the lack of success of activism. Yeah. And I was feeling a bit disheartened and I thought, you know, how are we going to fix this after so many years, decades, hundreds of years, you know, people have been committing themselves to trying to create a better world. Why does it feel like we're moving backwards? Why does it feel like we're not being effective? And, um, so yeah, I went on a bit of a journey. I started writing poetry, became a spoken word artist, you know, eventually completed my masters and I, began to form this idea that festivals in particular are a really powerful tool for transformation, mm. you know, transformational festivals and all the rest of it. But the way it was being used in society was that it involves usually lots of music and drugs or alcohol or a lot of fantasy or escapism. Yep. So I decided to use the platform of a, of a transformational festival, but then program it in such a way that would actually empower those people who want to make a difference in the world to be able to make those changes because the truth is i think everyone wants to do good in this world um everyone at our core we are all good humans and i think it's that lack of a sense of empowerment to actually affect change in society that uh, is, is holding us back so mm. i made it my mission to try and empower as many people as i could with new kind um, by programming the content that i felt um would help join dots for people you know what's education got to do with social change what's redesigning our economy got to do with it what's the role of gender equality what's the role of childhood education and parenting yeah um and then helping activists really like level up as as far as change makers and rather than just pointing out social injustice issues that we don't agree with really equipping them with the tools that they need to affect systems change in society which is what social change really is it's adjusting the systems and structures mm. of power in society that create injustice yeah so that's what kind of led to new kind as an idea back in 2015 before we finally launched the first one in 2017. Wow. Yeah, and it's had some really, really positive feedback from the participants who went there last year. So we're very much looking forward to heading down there end of January, Ethan. I'm curious yeah. to hear a little bit more about your book too because you wrote this book that's called Raising mm -hmm. Humanity and yep. it discusses these sort of underlying causes of injustice and inequality. Yep. So what do you believe then are the tangible pathways to socioeconomic justice? So the book, it kind of also came out of the same experience that led to Newkind, but also, you know, the three or four years of running Newkind and the, and the new knowledge bases that I was privy to over the course of those four or five years. And it kind of brought together themes of um, economics and eco-psychology and, you know, the indigenous knowledge. Mm. Um, and it kind of sees two main themes. It, it kind of discusses two main themes. Um, one of them is this idea of, of raising humanity in that early childhood education and education in general is, is social change. And we cannot pretend to want to change the world and make it a better place if we give a lack of attention to um, childhood education and, and, and that fact that we are, in fact, raising humanity in our homes and in our living rooms mm. and with our children. So that was one theme. The other theme is this idea that humanity is in itself an, an organic, growing, evolving kind of entity, a single organism, and we need to treat social change uh, and activism as a way of education again and um, and another form of, of, of raising or, you know, parenting society in a way. So those of us who see ourselves as change makers, those of us who want to create a more just and sustainable world, we need to kind of move beyond the adversarial kind of bipartisan politics kind of idea of, of creating change as you know, one against the other and see it as the education 
as the parenting of society. Those who can see a brighter, better future should then apply themselves to educating society and changing the structures and infrastructures of society that people move within. Mm. Um, so I guess, and then through that, I guess there is a massive connection to to ecology and, and nature and the environment and and the fact that the most sustainable, the most regenerative, the most self-sustaining kind of organism in, in, in the universe is, is nature, yeah. the nature from which we have sprung, and that much of the injustice that we see in society, much of the suffering, much of the economic hardship comes from or stems from this disconnection from the natural systems from which we have sprung. Mm. And it's not about, you know, living um, you know, barefoot in trees and eating off, off, off of berry bushes, but more so designing human systems that reflect the functions of nature. Mm. Um, you know, circular economy is this theme that keeps coming up in society more, you know, more so lately. But nature is the most perfect example of that. And our yeah. economy is kind of like, is that has diverged from that a little bit. So there's many underlying principles within nature by which we can redesign human civilization uh, to become more just and, and self-sustaining model. Yeah, absolutely. There's some great points there, Erfin. So then given your passion and experience in working with youth, and you mentioned that a little bit mm. earlier, Yeah. you know, we have these rising voices of, of leaders very young leaders like Greta Thunberg. So how might youth best be empowered then to fight for a future that they thrive in? I think that the youth know what needs to happen uh, and they know why it needs to happen. So they understand that they have a greater understanding this generation. And by, by this generation, I mean those who are currently in their teens. They intrinsically, inherently have this oh, high, slightly heightened, awakened consciousness that previous generations, you know, had to work a lot harder for. They are born with it now. Yeah. So they know why and what. And as far as empowering, it's just a matter of giving them the tools of of, of how. Yeah. And 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 giving them the the infrastructure of self confidence, uh, self worth, some resilience tools. Because let's face it, these the young People of today, the teenagers and those in their 20s today, are going to have to deal with, in, in a couple of gen- uh, decades, a society that, that no one has yet had to deal with. Yeah. And the, the stresses upon them, the anxieties they are managing while still going to school and doing everything else is head and shoulders above what any previous generation has had to deal with. So mm. it's those basic kind of like support, guidance, confidence, resilience. As far as that, you know, what they can do, that there is no limit to what they can do. Um, and I think adults just need to step out of the way and move beyond this idea of like, how do we engage the youth in what we feel needs to happen? Organizations still kind of have this idea of like, oh, you know, we can't engage the youth with our projects. The fact is the youth are engaged. They're they're doing the work, and the organizations who are a bit more rigid need to step aside and allow for the agility of of the youth movements that are happening. And it's not just Greta and and a number of leaders, but it's, it's happening across schools, across this world. Um, and it's just a matter of grown adults stepping out of the way um, and giving them some basic you know, tools of resilience and self-confidence and trust um, and, and letting them change the world the way they already know uh, how. Yeah, it's a really, really great point. Sorry, Evan, we mentioned a little bit earlier that you know, you've done your Master in Communication for Social Change. So I'm really, really keen to hear about one of the biggest lessons that you learned from completing this Master's. Well... The biggest lesson, I mean, there was a lot of lessons that I, I gained through that master's. There was a bit of coursework to begin with, obviously. So there was 
you know, disability development and conflict management and conflict resolution um, coursework. But in the actual thesis writing, there were a couple of big things that kind of stuck out for me. And one was how long climate change science has been on the money for and how long this has been an issue. Mm. Um, and the second thing was how much the extent of research that exists out there about climate change communications and how it's failing. And it's not something new. We've had the United Nations convene the uh, IPCC, the Intergovernmental yeah. Panel on Climate Change. That was convened in 1988. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that kind of like blows a lot of people's minds. It's hard to imagine this is how long it's been an issue for. 31 and, years. Yeah, and that's how long ago that was convened. So it was an issue before then. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a massive extent of, of research, not just on climate science. That's uh, that's unshakable. But there's uh, an extent of research on climate science communication and why it's been failing and, and what's been um, the downfall of it. And mm. what I found quite fascinating was that r raising awareness is not the answer. Not only is it not the answer, it in fact often is counter productive if you simply raise awareness without nuanced, targeted messaging that takes into account the receiver's pre-existing frameworks um, and schemata of interpretation. So mm. raising awareness around something like climate change, just expecting people to respond to fear, yeah. um, has been the downfall of the climate change movement mm. in that we think that if you give someone a sense of fear about the looming destruction that they might actually want to do something about it, whereas research quite clearly shows that it's the opposite. Yeah. Using fear-based, loss-based messaging um, triggers people into complex emotional management kind of systems whereby they shut down and they're more likely to deny climate science because of the trauma uh, instigated by the fear-inducing messaging. Mm. Uh, it's quite fascinating. To it really at is. Yeah. yeah. It really is. And I, I sort of feel like we could talk just on that topic alone all afternoon. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I wrote 12,000 words on it and I could talk all day on, on just that. <laughs> So let's let's move on because I'm really keen to hear about some of the different organisations or social enterprises that that you're aware of, and you know mm. you come across a lot. You have lots of social entrepreneurs coming down the New Kind Conference. So which of those do you think are doing a great job at tackling these social, cultural, or environmental problems? I think uh, kind of touched on this earlier with regards to the rigidity and the agility. Um, and that's rigidity referring to some of the organizations and the agility referring to the to the youth movement. So mm. it's it is in fact the, the school strikes and and the the youth climate movement that is the most effective in truly uh, recognizing and acknowledging the underlying factors that are leading to climate change. And as far as organizations, I feel because organizations take so long to find their own identity and over decades they establish these really strong identities. Uh, and personalities within organizations, mm. they struggle at times to keep pace with the rate at which the world is changing. And that's yeah. something that I touch on in the book as well. This rate of exponential change is, we throw this word exponential around, but if you actually look at a graph and study you know, what an exponential graph looks like, we understand that every moment the world is changing faster than it was a moment ago. Mm. Um, and I feel organizations at times struggle to keep pace with what's required and what the youth are really aware of, which yeah. is you know, seeing and recognizing that gender equality, inequality rather, is uh, leading to climate change. Um, that indigenous non-representation or, 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 you know, dispossession of land and culture is leading to further economic injustice and climate change. And yeah. I think the youth have done a really good job of 
recognizing these underlying symptoms mm. um, and acknowledging that you can't uh, address climate change through policy changes and through a, you know some some green energy solutions. Mm. It's really about fun, addressing the fundamental core issues, um, and I and I truly believe that the youth these days get that intrinsically. They understand it, and some organisations are you know connecting with youth quite well. I'm working on a project with the Red Cross at the moment, which is looking at empowering uh, youth from diverse backgrounds who may not usually be singled out as leaders and yeah. actually empowering leaders. And there are organizations out there that are doing really good work connecting with youth, but it, it is, again, it, the, kid, the kids these days, they, they, they're, they're on it. They know yeah. what needs to happen. Um, so I don't want to single out any particular organization as far as they're doing an incredible job. I feel like it's, a, it's about getting to those underlying principles um, and redesigning society rather than designing projects to address a single symptom mm. it's a matter of redesigning society yep. to address the underlying causes yeah 100% agree it's it's that system change that is all so important isn't it mm. so Irfan, to finish off then what books or resources would you recommend to our listeners um, depending on kind of where their strengths are so my, my whole idea is that uh, in order to address social change effectively, we need to see it as an interconnected kind of uh, network of ideas and different fields of knowledge. So if a person's already well-versed in eco-psychology, then I would say go and study economics and Mm. and find out a bit more about how we got here from an economic perspective. If someone comes from uh, an economics kind of background or an activism kind of background, I would say look into the work of eco-psychology, uh, look into the work that reconnects. You know, if you're lacking in understandings of indigenous perspectives and perhaps go there because I truly believe that it's not a particular field or way of thinking or school of thought that's going to lead us there. So it's, it's about rounding out and understanding how we need to find holistic solutions by having holistic perspectives. So it's yeah. a bit about eco-psychology and understanding that the human consciousness is inextricably interconnected with the nature from which it has sprung. It's about understanding economics in order to have intelligent conversations about economics. Mm. It's about understanding childhood education and psychology and, and knowing how to frame messaging in order to affect behavioral change. It's about understanding what toxic masculinity actually is rather than getting triggered by the word toxic masculinity yeah, yeah. and not really understanding what toxic masculinity and or toxic femininity means and, and what we mean by these things. So it's about rounding out our knowledge. So that's what I would just suggest to any, any listeners out there is to, if you're strong in a particular area, find your blind spots and, and try and connect more dots because the picture really is a connect, connect the dots kind of picture. Mm. Um, and that's the only way we're going to get to holistic solutions is if we connect all of the dots. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Irfan, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and it's been a great point to end on. So thanks so much for your really generous insights and time. And I'm certainly really excited uh, to be seeing you down at Newkind at the end of January. And we do actually have a special offer for our Impact Boom listeners. So if you do use the the coupon code, very generously given to us from Irfan. Absolutely. um, Throw in Impact Boom and that's with a capital I and capital B all together and you get 20% off your new kind tickets so jump onto that www.newkindconference.com and Irfan we'll see you down there yeah absolutely looking forward to it thanks again for your time Tom absolute pleasure
Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.